Welcome to our Polaris podcast. I'm Jeremy Whitbeck, a partner at the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and we have on with us Jeff Powell. So Jeff is our managing partner and the chief investment officer of our group. Jeff, it's great to uh, talk to you this morning. Good to be here. So Jeff, uh, a lot of really interesting things happening within the U.S. Obviously, uh, we had the stimulus go through and people are receiving those checks. And now there's been lots of talk about some of the other things that we're working on, a uh, big one being the infrastructure bill that uh, Biden's uh, and his administration are proposing. Can you walk us through some of the uh, the bigger events that are taking place and some of the, the projects and bills that uh, we're looking at within the U.S.? Well, a lot of the uh, the detail is not out on the actual infrastructure plan itself. Uh, President Biden speaks today in Pittsburgh uh, to kind of start mapping out what's uh, his full agenda with this infrastructure bill. But th there's a couple of things that really need to be kind of looked at if you're reading between the lines. Number one, he's going to Pittsburgh. You know, it's, he's not doing this from uh, the you know the East Lawn, or he's not doing it from the White House uh, in general, he's going out to an area of the country that was once a vital part of industrial production, which obviously has gone through multiple renaissance periods to, to reinvigorate their own economy and be less reliant on industrial production. So having President Biden going out to uh, Pittsburgh and, and actually speak to that event, I think is, is uh, a, a big an insightful thing. And really what we're talking about, there's been discussion about semiconductor chip manufacturing and the fact that we are uh, seeing a, uh, a deficit of uh, the amount that's there. There's a shortage, I guess is a better way of saying it, of uh, chips that are, are used for the most vital parts of production within military as well as just general business. And we're starting to see a, a little bit of nationalism that's kicking in, for a lack of a better way of saying it, where we want to start producing these things inside of our country, become less dependent upon China uh, and other countries that are major manufacturers of this and, and bring it back in-house. So you've seen Intel, uh, and they've already uh, stated that they're going to do a uh, a $2 billion plant in Arizona. You've also heard Taiwan Semiconductor uh, bringing business into the United States and, and starting to do manufacturing here. So uh, I think this is a little bit of a carryover, uh, whether you're a Biden fan or a Trump fan or whatever. Uh, Trump uh, did actually uh, start the ball rolling in the right direction with uh, bringing back manufacturing into the United States. Uh, I think that that's something that, that you're going to continue to see uh, a little bit of that nationalism kicking in and, and continuing uh, so that we're not as dependent. Uh, you're also seeing it, you know, the other major one that I'm seeing out there is uh, the continued production of precious metals and semi-precious uh, metals and, and minerals that are needed for all sorts of applications. There's discussion about how uh, the F-35 Raptor I uh, can't even be fully manufactured uh, with goods that we have in the United States that were dependent upon uh, materials from outside of the United States. And if there really was truly a shooting war, how in the world are we going to get that and resupply what's needed in the United States if we don't have it here? So I think that there's a, a lot to be said. 
with regard to you know starting to bring back things into the states. And then really the other major thing I think that this could be discussed today, which again, we'll find out a little bit more, uh, which is just a, a very old infrastructure in the United States that is in desperate need of either re being replaced or repaired. And we're talking highways, we're talking electrical systems, you know, our, our electrical grid is very ineffective. There is uh, so much energy that is lost between where it's being produced and getting to your home. And so I, I think that you will see more and more of a push when it comes to uh, to those types of things, the infrastructure with cell phones. Uh, 5G technology is great. What's the what's next? Um, you know, our electrical outlets, water, uh, water usage, uh, roads. I mean, just the basics. It's almost, Jeremy. It's almost like a, the New Deal back in the Great Depression. I have a feeling that you will see uh, some major projects that are either going to be kicked off that have been uh, that have been delayed, uh, or you're going to see some some major new things going on that have been on people's wish lists that they just didn't even think that they'd be able to get to. Yeah, and, and Jeff, you hit on a, a few um, topics I think are, are really interesting with what's taken place, especially here the last couple of years. And one of the things that you mentioned is nationalism. Um, and that's kind of the opposite of globalism or globalization that we've heard talked about for the last, I don't know, several decades as something that we're aspiring to. For those that aren't as familiar, can you walk us through uh, a little bit why all of a sudden this shift where we're now trying to do more and more within our own country as opposed to relying on outside countries to uh, produce some of these goods, services, rare earth minerals um, uh, that we have in the past? Yeah, absolutely. So really, if you kind of think about uh, the broader, more... You know, philosophical way of looking at this, a first world nation like the United States uh, with a highly educated population should be leading the way uh, of doing things like consulting and other services rather than manufacturing, which does not require uh, nearly the same sort of educational level, depending on what kind of manufacturing you're discussing, of course. But in all, I mean, if you're if you're looking at uh, the basics, I mean, people going into uh, the manufacturing of, say, steel, uh, most of the people that work for those steel companies have a high school education and have a college education. And so when you're really looking at it from a larger perspective, what you want is to educate your population, have them do the high paying jobs uh, so that they can then consume what was lower paying um, and so on. So for example, let's just make it really simple. Do we need Americans to make clothes hangers or should we actually have that done somewhere else? Should we educate that person that's gonna make a clothes hanger in order to be able to do a higher level, more sophisticated job and get paid more for that? And then they can not only buy the clothes hangers for cheaper because they're being made somewhere else, but that person will be able to make more money, be at a higher tax basis, uh, everybody wins. And that's the philosophical end of it. Now, the reality behind it is we need coat hangers. Uh, what if uh, we outsource coat hangers to a place uh, that doesn't want to give us clothes hangers after we've outsourced that deal to them? And then you're going to have all your clothes piled up on the floor. 
all, all jokes aside, but you know, the reality behind it and the whole notion behind it is if you are a more educated area, you do the jobs that are at the pay grade level and you educate up the continued population in order to make it uh, stronger and stronger and a higher level of an economy. Uh, that's a philosophical nature of it. The reality behind it, and you kind of hit on sort of the nationalism or protectionalism that you want to be dealing with. You know, as things uh, are getting hotter and hotter with a few countries that we're not seeing eye to eye with, uh, you know, namely China, but you could also throw Russia into that mix as well. Uh, when you're dependent upon a China for a lot of the goods and services uh, that we kind of take for granted here, then we need to be able to kind of take some of that back in order to make sure that they don't have the leverage uh, to be able to sit there and, and negotiate with us for, uh, in terms of, of what they want versus what we want. Yeah, thank you uh, for walking through it. And I, I think it's really interesting. Uh, you used the coat hanger analogy. Obviously, uh, you could use a lot of different healthcare related things um, that we experienced last year. But uh, I think COVID really kind of put that argument uh, on boil where people really started to question, do we want most of our drugs, most of our medical equipment to come from other places? Because what we learned is that when uh, supplies get tight, um, countries, and probably fairly so, um, take care of their own first. And so do we want to be bottom of the, the list of getting those supplies since we're reliant on other people? So I think it's a really interesting shift that's taken place. And, um, and to kind of go back to what we're talking about, uh, the infrastructure deal seems to be a step in that direction. We're further cementing the ability of the U.S. to be somewhat more self-sustaining. Jeff, can you walk us through what are the market and the economic implications of something like that? Is that something that we should be applauding and happy? Is it something that may cause some concern down the road? I guess how should we be receiving uh, the information that uh, is being provided right now? Everything in life has uh, two sides to it, correct? I mean, so it's all in the eye of the beholder. Uh, there are sometimes unintended consequences to actions that we take. And so on the surface, when you're talking about spending $3 trillion on infrastructure, uh, there is some implications of you know, growth uh, through spending on that as long as it is efficient, which I don't think our government ever has been. So uh, I don't know why I would bring up uh, government spending being efficient, but nonetheless, depending on how uh, inefficient it is, uh, will have an impact on things. Uh, but really the, the, the number one item that we're hearing uh, in the media and kind of rustling around is the further implications that this might have on uh, the potential of inflation. And so we've talked about this a little bit in our uh, previous pieces. I mean, spending does not necessarily uh, walk hand in hand with inflation. I mean, we, we can go back and turn back the pages in the history books and go back and look at somebody like Ronald Reagan, who got our country out of a stagflation situation by spending money. And so you certainly can't just continue to write a bunch of empty checks without having uh, the implications behind it. Uh, but, you know, eventually this will catch up with us, but it's it's not necessarily something that will drive massive inflation in, in a short term. Uh, it is something 
when you're spending $3 trillion, you got to pay it back at some point. Uh, so it either comes out through taxes uh, and getting ourselves uh, to a situation where we're in a cash flow positive situation and we pay down our debt, which we did for a few years under the Clinton administration. Uh, but then we went right back to the well and started spending money again beyond what we had. So the, the long-term major impact, and this is something, again, we've discussed at nauseum, is the easiest way of making this debt go away is through monetary policy. If you're printing money left and right and devaluating your currency compared to your trade partners and other things out there, your currency becomes cheaper uh, or has, in other words, less value, then guess what ends up happening? Your public has to spend more money in order to buy the goods from places outside of the United States. So that's a devaluation of currency. And that's really, to me, my biggest longer term worry for our clients is that this doesn't follow your prototypical measure of how to manage money. You know, you're not going out there and taking 120 minus your age and buying that amount of, of equity and then going out into the bond market and getting six, seven, eight, nine percent in the way of income uh, in order to round out your portfolio. That shift is still a long time ago. And so what we're really looking at is having more and more people uh, that want to grow their portfolio in order to offset a future inflation or devaluation of currency in order to offset the spending that's going on right now. So it's really pushing people from a moderate 50-50, maybe even a 40-60 in stock to bond ratio uh, up uh, into the ranges of 80-20 uh, stock to, to bond, or maybe not even have bonds at all in their portfolio, given the fact that you've seen for example, the, the long-term treasury dropped 14% so far year to date. So you got to be really smart about what the value is that you're purchasing or what it is that you're trying to accomplish with your fixed income and actively manage that just like you would actively manage any other part of your portfolio. Yeah, Chad, <clears throat> excuse me. Thank you for a, a great explanation there. And for those people that uh, didn't perhaps listen to the uh, interest rate uh, podcast we did, uh, Jeff does a great job just diving into some of the macro pressures and um, really elaborates a little bit more on how we need to make sure <laughs> that we position portfolios for some of these uh, upcoming um, inflationary slash uh, interest rate pressures that are expected. And then Jeff, um, one last thing uh, that I'm hoping that you can touch on is with the dollar weakening. So this is perhaps one of the more misunderstood topics that I run into where it seems like when the dollar is weakening, people are really upset and scared about it. When the dollar is strengthening, people are really upset and scared about it. And so I'm hoping that we can just shed a little bit of light. What does it mean for a person here in the US if the dollar weakens um, with regard to their portfolio? Is it generally perceived to be a good thing, a bad thing? Um, how should people look at that? Well, um couple things with regard to it. So far this year, uh, the dollar has actually strengthened into the spending bills that we've been having. The dollar is up about 3.5% uh, to the international basket of, uh, of uh, assets out there. Now, compared to where it was 12 months ago, it's down about 6%. So just a, a, a little bit on, on it, it's, it's kind of, again, 
how it impacts you is sort of twofold. So the first question that you really need to ask is how you're spending your money. And then it also becomes how other people are spending their money abroad. So what ends up happening is by having the dollar devaluate in, uh, in an overall sense, it means that our products are cheaper abroad and, and international or, or uh, uh, domestic products are, are really what most people in the United States would end up buying because your Japanese or your European or even your Chinese products become that much more expensive. So it, just using round numbers here and saying that, for example, last year we got down uh, to about a 10% loss in currency. So let's just throw that out there. If, if a dollar is now worth 90 cents compared to what it was before, it means that my dollar is not going as far to go out and buy. I don't know. Let's just use, use cars as an example. If I was going to go buy a BMW or a Volkswagen uh, or really any European car, period, it's going to be 10% more expensive. If I'm then looking at it slightly differently and saying, okay, well, if I'm trying to, if I'm GM or I'm Ford and I'm selling my product into a European market, my car is now 10% cheaper. So I'm going to sell more of my goods abroad. And I'm also going to sell more of my goods domestically by the fact that the dollar is devaluated. So a dollar devaluation when it comes to economic activity is a stimulus. Uh, and when it comes to how the American public will have to deal with it, it's it's quite the opposite. Your dollar is not going quite as far. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Um, and I think just to go back, that's something that uh, it gets a little bit lost in the shuffle when we look at it. Um, but certainly, uh, like everything, it's a mixed bag. And so there's the good and bad with uh, a lot of these uh, things that take place. So as always, Jeff, really appreciate your your thoughts and insights. It'll be interesting to see as uh, details emerge with the infrastructure uh, bill that uh, Biden's uh, speaking about what that's going to look like. Um, but certainly a lot of things to uh, to track and keep uh, uh, watch on to see what the impl implications are going to be in the uh, financial markets. So as always, Jeff, thank you so much. Oh, no, my pleasure. And so, and to everyone uh, that's listening with us, thank you again for your time. And as always, be happy, be safe, and be healthy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.